Welcome to the Nerdflix podcast. It's April 5th, and we're up early in the evening going for this. Going to do a good podcast night, right, guys? Woohoo! Yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> Acting so lethargic today is Austin Kent. How you doing? I'm good. Mikey, how are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you for asking. You seem a little sullen today. No. Okay. I'm wonderful. <laughs> and to my right is J.M. Thomas. That would be me. Hello, and welcome to the show. Thank you. Today, John is also our producer. <laughs> if you say so. And don't forget, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes. Don't forget to like us. It's fantastic to get that wonderful feedback. Also, send us an email at nerdflixpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, we also are on social media, but we don't really follow that. Uh, today, we're going to be talking uh, about our news subjects, about, about also what we've been watching, our top 10, and our feature presentation, Holy Motors. So uh, today was a, was a sad week and we're still kind of feeling it and uh austin's news story is not the greatest but uh go ahead and take it away austin well yesterday roger ebert passed away um from cancer he was battling it for 10 years i'm sure you've seen a photo of him if you're a movie junkie of course everybody knows roger ebert whether you love him or not is another thing personally he meant a great deal to me and i'll tell the story of how and why. When I was 13, I went to see Jurassic Park, and I thought it was pretty much the greatest thing ever in the history of motion pictures. And when Oscar time came around, I was really excited to see Jurassic Park win every award. Well, it wasn't nominated for anything, and this pissed me off. Um, So I, I decided to check out Siskel and Ebert's show about Oscar contenders or something. And they seemed pretty okay with it, and that confused me. So I started watching the show because their opinions seemed to be contrary to mine. And very quickly, Roger Ebert became a figure that I latched on to strongly. Did you prefer him even to Siskel? Oh, by far. And it was was pretty effortless that Ebert became... Um, something of a teacher or father figure very quickly. Um, I bought his, every year he published a new movie guide um, that would just have re- recent reviews and then some classic reviews. And then it came with a little booklet where you would, it was like a checklist and it had his rating. So every week I'd look through the TV guide and see if any of the movies that he liked were playing. And I would make sure to watch it and record them. And that's really how I started getting into movies. Something I started noting as I was reading all these um, eulogies for Ebert is that a lot of people had a similar reaction to Ebert, that he was a teacher. In fact, I've always wanted to tell him so, but one time in a forum I saw somebody say virtually everything that I wanted to say to him, and Ebert just recommended another director. He wasn't being a a bitch about it. He was just saying... He was kind of respecting that. Thank you for telling me, but... That's I can't go into that for everybody. And yeah. other people would walk up to him, like some writers that were writing their eulogy said, I, would, I walked up to him and said, you t- taught me how to love movies. 
and he was polite, but you know, he didn't really get into it. And yeah, that's, that's gotta be a hard compliment to accept. I mean, Mm -hmm. if that, that would feel weird if somebody, so maybe he just didn't know how to respond. Right. Um, I, I heard, I read another one that said at can or con, um, he would always not like the limelight, unlike everybody else, and he would just see as many movies as possible. Mm. So it, it was a completely he, he wasn't comfortable, I suppose, in in a weird way. I've read his autobiography twice. It's called Life Itself, and it's it's incredibly honest, and that's part of his appeal. The man seemed to have no pretense about him. Just everything he wrote, he related to with his life. It was it was as if it was this a very open communication with you. He wasn't being pedantic. He wasn't trying to make you feel stupid about what you didn't understand. I, I kind of pinpointed just today something about him. It wasn't that he just taught you to love movies, but he taught you to be the type of person who would automatically love these movies. He 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 went so far beyond being a critic. Um, somebody I saw compared him to Mark Twain, which might be a little. Uh, it's a, I mean, it is a little hyperbolic, but at the same time, on a cultural level, I think what he was offering for everybody around the movies is is, is a way to be the best person that we have inside of ourselves, and that that's that's far beyond his criticism. But if you're strictly saying, what did he do for movies? Um, he more or less discovered Scorsese. And Scorsese wrote a tribute to him that was deeply moving. Um, he even ended it, my dear friend, at the point, at that point, it just sounded like that was just a sincere, emotional utterance on his part. Um, That's amazing that any film director would refer to any critic as my dear friend. Because, right. Yeah. It's true. Um, Ebert loved his first film so much, he, he went out of his way to champion it, and in life itself, he mentions that when he was dealing with death threats and all the controversy for uh, Last Temptation of Christ, he flew Ebert in to the secret location to have him screen the movie and then asked him what he thought and everything. So it, his opinion was deeply valued. And also Werner Herzog, I don't know if you know him. He's, yep. Okay. Yeah, I saw him eat his shoe. Uh, yeah. <laughs> He's an all-around awesome man and filmmaker, and um, he was interviewed moments after he found out, and he was deeply shaken and really what he was saying was there's nobody left to make movies for anymore like he was saying ebert was a soldier with me and the only thing i can do is keep making movies until i die as if ebert was by my side and make him proud and then he had to end because he was too emotional to continue what an awesome quote there's nobody left to make movies for. <laughs> he, he didn't really say that, but that's, I mean, that's really. Oh, well, gist. that's too bad. Now I just gave him credit <laughs> for it. <laughs> well, he, he said that Ebert was movie's soldier, and now without him, he's going to make films because that's what he does, but mm-hmm. he has to do it kind of with Ebert at a side in his mind, the Ebert that he remembers. Yeah. Um, and he's saying that everything's about celebrity now. Uh, nobody discusses the movie honestly. Nobody discusses movies like critic should which is to include all different arts to include philosophy to include culture and just discuss humanity and he was a humanist um so in in so many ways i would not be who i am at all without roger ebert and this is by far the most painful loss out of anyone that i've never known um it really just feels i mean i I know it, it seems comical 
somebody looking like <laughs> this guy's really freaking out about a, uh, a movie <laughs> critic. <laughs> but um, it's comforting to know that I'm not the only one that's that's had this and that his effect was immense. Um, and I don't know, did you read about how he died? Um, yeah, and this is why I, I didn't have as deep a relationship with Roger Ebert. Like, I never read his books, but I was always a fan of the show and, and of his reviews. But um, this is kind of why, in a way, I mean, I'm sad that he's gone. But the news that came out the day before he died was that he they found cancer in his leg. And I remember thinking, you know, oh, my God, hasn't this guy been through enough already? Here he is. 70 years old, already had his jawbone removed. He's already, you know, battled through cancer cancer once. He he can't even talk anymore. And now he won't be able to walk or talk. And I was just thinking, you know, at 70 years old, is, and he's going to have to make this battle one more time. Um, so, yeah, while it, it's sad that he's gone, but I, in a way I'm kind of also relieved that he didn't have to suffer through another long and painful battle um, because that would have been hard too. at the end of your life you know I, and i don't want to get into what you know too much <laughs> philosophy or anything here but i, no, I just no think more cycle babble yeah at, at, at the end you should be able to choose how you want to go and and there was a quote from him about how he didn't he no longer feared death and he said that you know before i was born i was perfectly content and i assume that death will be the same way um so in a way i i'm gonna miss reading his reviews for sure um, but I'm not really, I'm not really sad that that he's gone in light of the state that he was in, because I think it's better to lose him now than to have him suffer another five years. And while that's true, I mean, to an extent, you don't. Uh, first of all, I didn't even read that last blog that he had cancer again, um, and because it was just like a few days ago. Yeah, and then it was literally the day yeah. before he died that that news broke. But w- reading it now in hindsight, I mean. I think he was preparing for that inevitability because just this is wording at the end. You guys have been like the best readers any critic could hope for when see you at the movies. That certainly sounds yeah like a farewell sign off. And but the Chaz, his wife said that um, they were getting him out of hospice for the day, and he just smiled at her, and then that was it. And I thought that, like. <laughs> As you were saying, for a man who have suffered, what man could hope for a better death than to be smiling at the person you love and then that's it. There's yeah. no struggle, there's nothing. Yeah. So it really seemed to fit that philosophy that you were saying. And if you read Life Itself, he's very zen about everything he's gone through and um, or was very zen about it. And what's amazing to me too is the... Because um, <clears throat> normally people don't praise critics very often because filmmakers are usually you know filmmakers and actors are the popular ones and people care about their opinions and and those are traditionally the people that think critics are assholes and um you know they they just they'll bag on them all the time and so uh, people will listen to that and they will also hate critics or they will hate critics because you know oh that guy never likes the movies that i like like transformers so fuck him you know right so for a critic to pass away and to have so many people like be heartfelt, uh, uh, you know, feel a loss about it, then I think that's incredible. And that's a, a statement of how big he was because before him and, and Siskel, then people didn't really care that much about critics. I mean, they weren't that big. 
and after him, they're not that big. Mm -hmm. um, when really he changed a lot. I, I mean, the younger generation might not appreciate it, but uh, when you go on Facebook and you give the thumbs up to things you like, when you go on Yahoo and you can thumbs up or thumbs down comments, we wouldn't have that without Siskel and Ebert. Uh, they kind of added that to our vernacular. So even today, there's there's things that are affecting us that that people don't even realize. Yeah, that's that's a great point. Um, uh, you sing about the youth, though. Um, unfortunately, he kind of got into it with a lot of the uh, younger generation because he was saying that video games aren't art. I'm a gamer. I've spent way too much of my life gaming, but I have to agree. There, there's nothing in video games. Like, the editing process makes film a unique art form. There's nothing in video games that makes it a unique art form. So what he was saying was very true. But just reading the, the hate that was thrown at him from gamers, I hope he dies quickly and gets this generation out of the way and all this shit. Like, oh, I never realized that. That was a typical comment. And then the man played Dark Souls. That was he, he decided he'd play a game, so he looked at the best-reviewed games of the year, and he played Dark Souls all the way through, which is supposedly reading about this. one of the hardest games ever made. I've never played it. but So for someone who doesn't even understand really gaming, he sat there and he played it without a jaw, so he couldn't even like cuss like when he was really <laughs> fucking angry. <laughs> and every gamer knows that feeling. He was cussing on the inside. And he said it was the most abysmal experience of his life, but then... Nobody gave him an ounce of credit for that. They were like, come on, Eber, why'd you pick that game of all games? Obviously, you're trying to stack the deck. Like, he would really go out of his way <laughs> yeah. to be the hardest game ever if he really was trying to go out of his way. And in that last post before he died, he was talking about he was still trying to reach out for, to the gamers. So that's just that, that lack of pride about what he's doing. But he wants to reach everybody. Yeah. Well, and I think that's cool, too, because it shows that he's being open minded and he's saying, OK, well, maybe I've been wrong about this. So I'm going to give it I'm going to educate myself and see if I need to reform my opinion. Right. Um, and he did reform his opinion on the Brown Bunny, which is a movie that he originally hated. And then after the final cut, he said, you know, you cut out 26 of the worst minutes of that movie. Now it's pretty good. And Gallo wished colon cancer on him, and then he yeah. got cancer, and he even still met with the man. <laughs> yeah, true. It wasn't colon cancer, but he specifically uh, wished colon cancer on him yeah. because Roger Ebert said, I had a colonoscopy once, and they let me watch it on the TV oh, screen, yeah. <laughs> and that was more entertaining than watching The Brown Bunny. Which, which is, by the way, a great quote. <laughs> yeah. My, my favorite Ebert quote of all time is um, the movie Armageddon, and he said... No matter what you paid to get in, it's worth more to get out. <laughs> yeah. I think it's funny you bring up uh, some of the things he said. Uh, you brought up Transformers a little bit earlier. Mm -hmm. He said, if you want to save yourself the ticket price, go into the kitchen, cue up a male choir singing the music of hell, and get a kid, <laughs> <laughs> and get a kid to start banging pots and pans together. Then close your eyes and use your imagination. And that's how he reviewed uh, uh, Transformers Revenge of the Fallen. That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> and at the same time, I think even if he was going off on a movie that I like, and he, he has, there are a few movies that are in his I Hated This Movie book, like Blue Velvet, that I think are great movies. I'm not offended. And like that's a huge distinction where most critics are so annoying in how they present things that you're just trying to prove them wrong in your head. Even. Yeah. But like with Eber, I just accept that that was his opinion. Mm. That was a nice read, <laughs> and I have a different opinion, and that was the end of it. Yeah, I've disagreed with him quite a bit, and um, but yeah, I never, I never got mad at him, and um, 
he wasn't as pretentious as other critics either. You know, I I can hardly stand to listen to Elvis Mitchell. Mm-hmm. Um, he he's very smart, but oh my God, does he try to cram every uh, bit of pretentiousness he can into every sentence he speaks, and right. it bugs the heck out of me. Whereas Roger Ebert seems like a genuine movie fan, and he could. He's just as likely to give a Jackie Chan movie a positive review if it was well done as he was to give, you know, uh, some Tom Hooper movie a positive review. So I respected him for that. Plus his great movies then was kind of the distinction where he's going to go in and say, these are movies that are um, worth checking out throughout all time. That was kind of his way of educating. But even in that, like he has planes, trains, and automobiles on his great movies. Like he has very even taste. Some no yeah. matter who you are. And the uh, director of uh, Hoop Dreams, the real Hoop Dreams, not the Hoop Dreams <laughs> of horse fucking. <laughs> but um, uh, Steve James, actually, it was in the middle of making filming a uh, documentary about Roger Ebert. And I think it's based off of his book, right, Life. Life Itself. You read the book, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, they I guess they got enough footage to, uh, to finish the movie because he came out and said that he... He vows to uh, complete the documentary and release it. Right, and um, Scorsese's producing that one, too, so uh, that's a tribute there. But ultimately, looking at the landscape now of who's left, it's just a lot of postmodernism, and there's really nobody left to take his reins, and um, I I feel like this is a definite shift for movies. There's no tastemaker left, you know, like... There's nobody that everybody knows. Oh, there's Ebert. No, there's nobody. There's yeah. not Elvis Mitchell. Yeah, I can't think of another critic that I actually would well, bother I, listening I to. I would assume that it would be us. Logically, yeah. that well, just makes sense. Right, there yeah. you go. We, re- no. we review the movies that matter. <laughs> like, like the Hoop Dreams of Horse, horse Fucking. fucking. Zoo! <laughs> um, what I was going to say is that uh, he... The times have changed so much, I don't know if there will ever be another person as big as Ebert because now you go to Rotten Tomatoes or someplace like that where they have you know a thousand critics contributing a score right Um, so at best people are going to be as successful as being one one thousandth of a score on Rotten Tomatoes and even yeah there's no there's no um, place for that kind of critic any longer there's no place for someone to release a book about their reviews and to have somebody being really excited about it and to take the time to learn, oh, this guy is subtly teaching me a lot. Yeah. <laughs> like, yep. it, our attention spans aren't that long any longer. Yep, that's true. I mean, there's still uh, Leonard Maltin, um, who's not bad, but I, I never liked him as much as oh, Ebert. No. Yeah. He, his eulogy was nice. I forget what he said, actually. But <laughs> so I, it wasn't remember, that nice. Well, yeah, but I remember thinking that was, that was pretty nice for Leonard. I'm still mad because Leonard Maltin one time, saw me looking at him and then was like, ah, <laughs> these fans. <laughs> so for Leonard Maltin to be pissy about that. <laughs> he, could, he could see the uh, Roger Ebert love in your eyes. Right, and you're, then, you're half the man that Roger Ebert yeah. is. Right? No, he, he's, he was probably jealous of him. He saw him as a competitor. Mm. So then he saw, you love Ebert more than me, so fuck you. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's pretty astute then to realize that. Nothing. <laughs> Leonard Maltin is the most perceptive man in history. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, that's all I really have to say. How about you, John? What do you got? Um, So this is a uh, a movie that's going to be interesting to you, Mikey. And we were talking last episode about movies that are funded on Kickstarter. This is another one that was funded on Kickstarter, and it's called... Funny you should say started on Kickstarter. I just read today that the Veronica Mars movie has a working script now. 
the first draft is done. That's okay, it. Sorry. I yeah. thought they were they yeah. would be further along in this process. So basically, no, they just said we got this idea. We're gonna make Veronica Mars the movie. Give us money. Yep, and, and they give them money, it. and now they have a, a first draft. I'm sure that's really good. They, yeah. you know, <laughs> honestly, they could have been writing the script before they got the full kickstarting funding. No, no. The idea is, uh, <laughs> ten years later, they go to a reunion and there's arguments. Oh, okay. So anyway, sorry, totally didn't mean that. Interesting. That's cute. Uh, where was I? Kickstarter. Uh, oh yeah, this movie was funded on Kickstarter, and it is called. Pro Wrestlers versus Zombies. I'm there. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you exactly. And uh, you know what's funny about this? Their Kickstarter goal was to raise $30,000. That's the cost of filming. I would have doubled it. And guess how many contributors it took to raise $30,000? 30. <laughs> You're not that far off. 65. Whoa. <laughs> and one of them gave over $10,000. Wow. And there was, I think, a couple that gave over 2500 Now, this movie has a lot of pro wrestlers in it that are um, kind of not on top of their game anymore, not making a lot of money, kind of like the has-been wrestlers. So we're talking like Perry Saturn type has-been? Um, Hacksaw Jim Duggan is in it. Gotcha. Um, uh, Raven, uh, Kurt Angle. I saw Matt Hardy. Why don't um, they just go to the TNA stable and like, hey, we're making a movie, guys? Yeah, pretty much. But see, this is my, my theory is that a lot of these guys, you know, their wrestling career is either over or soon to be over and they want to break into movies and... So I'm guessing that probably half of those 65 contributors were probably wrestlers that are in the movie <laughs> themselves contributing money to it. So the trailer is kind of funny. Um, it, first of all, it's it's a very low, low budget movie. And although this is the director's third movie, it looks like his first. Um, and the sound's terrible and the, you know, the cinematography's terrible. But you get to see wrestlers doing wrestling moves on zombies which is kind of funny like kurt angle did an ankle lock on a zombie and just like twisted his foot right off and you see guys <laughs> flying headbutts off the top rope or whatever and smashing a zombie's head that way so um you know it just looks like silly fun um i certainly won't watch it but the people who are into wrestling and into zombies will probably enjoy it buying the 3d blu-ray yeah, that's what I knew you would. <laughs> Is that for the wrestling or for the zombies or both? No, the wrestling. Because okay. I'm personally, as someone who was never into zombies to begin with, I'm so fucking sick of zombies. And like, why do zombies have to be inserted into every fucking thing these days? That's kind of a curious thing. Like, why did zombies become so cool all of a sudden? I like, mean, you used to have zombie movies. But then there was also equal amounts of vampire movies and horror movie, you know, werewolf movies or whatever but now everything is zombie i think when zombies were able to run that's when they became more popular hmm i mean not to get into i i suspect there might be some cultural thing going on as but i'm not going to go there well like we're all zombies of you know the the big corporate machine now or that it's an easy way also to fill your bloodlust like i i suppose it's an extension of Nazis in the 80s, such as Nazis were things that you could kill hmm. without having any cause, because obviously they're evil, which isn't like, you know, um, it's true that the Nazi ideology is evil, but I'm sure there were Germans that were just caught up in it, and they weren't really loving Hitler, <laughs> and yeah. they were hoping for this, so I, it's not fair just to say that, but Nazi, or zombies are one step further, where you can just get your violence fix in mass on these things that you don't have to care about. That's true. I noticed that um, there's a lot. There's a trend where they don't want to show 
human beings being killed by the thousand anymore for whatever reason. Um, so Insert like, zombie. yeah. So then some directors went the way of like, uh, like in star Wars, Lucas didn't want to see a bunch of human beings be killed. So he had droid armies. We can see thousands of droids be wiped out and we won't feel bad. Right. Um, but now, you know, some other directors are going the zombie route. You can see a thousand zombies get wiped out and not feel bad. And you, you scoffed at me, Mikey, but I do have to say <laughs> that, uh, Shaun of the dead is almost specifically addressing zombies as our dead mediated culture. <laughs> That's Mike, the joke of it. <laughs> Mikey's a scoffer. I haven't seen that movie either. Oh, my God. Really? <laughs> no. Well, Actually, before you fork over $30 for the fucking <laughs> zombie wrestlers. Yes. See Shaun of the Dead. That movie is actually awesome. It's been on my Netflix queue for like three years. Never got around to actually getting the DVD or watching it on streaming. I'm not really into zombie movies, but that movie was okay. It was entertaining. Hot Fuzz is better. Is it? Oh, I'll have I to check it out. I thought you were supposed to see that. Hot Fuzz? Yeah. Was I? Why? It was some party that everybody at once in unison said, let's watch Hot Fuzz. Is that the name of the movie? It's it's the Shaun of the Dead director. Yeah, but I don't... What the heck are you talking about? It was years ago, um, and I remember it because... So was that on episode five? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you mean it was weeks ago? Oh, yes. yeah, weeks. Four weeks ago. It was just yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> no, wait, I, I, don't, I don't remember this. So I said I was going to a party where people were going to watch Hot Fuzz? You were saying... <laughs> That you were asking people what movie they would want to watch. What was a good party movie? And I and I think I said Hot Fuzz, and you said uh, two other people had recommended that. So Hot Fuzz it will be, and I felt pretty good about myself, and that's probably why I remember it. Wouldn't it be funny if that was actually on one of our other episodes? It would be. What? Why was I asking Email about a now. good party movie? <laughs> just, just a good movie that a bunch of guys can get together and watch and laugh at. Okay, <laughs> I must have been in a weird mood that day because <laughs> that's something that like I've never gotten together with a bunch of guys and just watched a movie. <laughs> okay, well, I mean, I, I, it's clear in my mind, but that no, means, I, I'm you know, not that saying you're nothing. lying. I, I, I could have comp- this could be no. a fa- phantom memory. I, I believe you because I I do get these weird ideas in my head. Like, hey, I've never hung out with a bunch of guys and watched a movie. <laughs> that would be fun. I, I think I've watched a movie with you guys before. We watched uh, House together. Yeah, House. <laughs> yeah, the Japanese movie House. No, yeah, the, yeah, that, that movie's crazy. But yeah, I think that uh, I, I've never watched a movie with like a group larger than five people. Probably. Maybe that's why I said it because there was a hole in my life <laughs> <laughs> where that I wanted to fill. But you didn't. No, I didn't. So, <laughs> anyway, pro wrestlers versus zombies. Mikey, do you have a news story? I do. Uh, Fuji Film. Uh, decided to discontinue a large portion of their film media production. So I guess we're ushering in a new era of uh, digital media. Was Fuji the last holdout? I think that was the, the last because large I producer. I thought I remember Kodak saying that they got out a while back. I could be wrong yeah, about that. Kodak got out uh, of the film production. They still do um, uh, uh, still image production. But as far as uh, cinema film, they went out. And I was reading that they that it wasn't because less directors were shooting on on physical media and moving to digital. It was because that uh, theaters themselves were moving over to digital. So Mm. that one film that they would film or shoot, they wouldn't make, you know, thousands of reproductions of it to send to the the movie houses. So basically Christopher Nolan needs to make his own small company that can process his film because there's no large company left to do it. No, he will. It'll be boutique at this point. Huh. That is insane. So that happened quickly. Yep. They they said they're still going to 
still going to produce uh, film for uh, preservation purposes, okay. and you know, and, and other some small quantities. But for the most part, by and large, it's out. I should start a uh, boutique film processing company just so I can meet Christopher Nolan. You should do that because <laughs> now where else is he going to go? <laughs> and he can just look at you and be like. Ugh. I have no idea how to process film, but I just wanted to meet you so bad. I love Inception. Oh, uh, yeah. Speaking of that, um, not to. I was supposed to watch that last weekend, and I didn't. No, you haven't seen Inception? Oh, no, you no, saw I it with us. No, I was going to see it again. Okay. I yeah. was going to oh. watch it on Blu-ray. With five guys? <laughs> we have three. You mean the restaurant five guys? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, Christopher Nolan's new film is... Interstellar. Yeah, he stole it from Spielberg. That he, was, he's really no, but that was Spielberg's next project for like two years. Oh, really? On IMDb, and now it's his. That's interesting. I, hmm, I thought Nolan only directed movies that his brother wrote, or that he and his brother wrote together. Yeah, that seems to be the norm. But I mean, to an extent, Batman wasn't his original creation. So, oh, this, that's true. Okay, if this thing exists separately, he could still rewrite it and make it his own. I don't even know what the hell it is. The IMDb description makes it sound like it's like a Cosmos documentary. I would be happy if um, Nolan took all of Spielberg's movies over <laughs> just from here on out. Wow. You don't like Spielberg much? It's Well, let's say if I even if I thought Spielberg was the second best director in the world, why not have the first best director <laughs> take over those movies and make them even better? I would be okay if Christopher Nolan never touched a DC idea. DC uh, IP ever again. Oh, yeah. You're not welcome <laughs> here anymore, even though it's your house. Fighting words. <laughs> um, but what was I going to say real quick? Oh, uh, I wouldn't mind Spielberg just sticking to things like Lincoln. I thought that was um, phenomenal. Yeah, you know what? He did a good job with that. Uh, yeah. That was... He's, you know what? Spielberg is good at giving you what you expect at a very high quality, um, whereas Nolan will give you what you don't expect and then throw some surprises in there. But I can't remember the last time Steven Spielberg really surprised me. Hmm. Well, I, I think Lincoln had more than just, it was more than just a costume drama. Like I, I th- felt like it really examined the political process and the, the faults of the political process that Lincoln was struggling to understand and control. He wanted to issue social change and that's not how things work. Yeah. <laughs> how does he do it? Like, and I thought that was the crux of the film, and just just as for a political junkie, I was riveted. But um, I, I'm not saying it was bad. I mean, I was riveted too. Oh, I was just saying. But I'm from what like War Horse is something I would expect from Spielberg. Oh, whereas okay. this is tonally similar, but I felt like it had more range. But that might be just me making a point out of nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so, John, what you been watching? Ah, uh, what have I been watching? Um, Several things, in fact. I started watching uh, Side by Side that you told me about Hmm. last show. Um, But uh, the one I want to talk about is a movie called Greenberg. And it it stars uh, Ben Stiller. And uh, he is basically a super unlikable douchebag in this movie. And um, you you find yourself disliking the character so much. And then you kind of dislike the movie because the first half of it is really boring. But a funny thing kind of happened at a certain point in this movie because he's such a dick to everyone um, and you find him so unlikable. But at some point I was looking at I stopped looking at him and I started looking at the other characters faces. And while he's being a dick to them, 
I saw the look in their face that I see people have when I'm talking to them. <laughs> so I'm like, holy shit, now I can kind of relate to this movie because uh, people are reacting to him being a dick the same way they react to me um, being myself. Don't, don't let him uh, fool you. He really is a dick. <laughs> so, so yeah. He once told me that you try to find, you try to say the one thing that would piss someone off the most as often as you can. Um, well, there At was least a, you think it. <laughs> there was a time in my life where I, I would. Uh, okay. I, I <laughs> seem, I seem, you know, everybody's good at something, right? Well, my natural God-given talent was to um, say the perfect thing that could upset a human being the most. Um, and so I played with that talent for a little while and, and made a lot of people very upset. And then, uh, you know, developed a conscience at some point and wanted to be a better person. So now I try to filter those things out. But I still think it. <laughs> so, like, I was even, you know, while you're giving your heartfelt eulogy about Roger Ebert, about a dozen things went through my head. And, but I chose not to say them because I like you and I don't want you to hate me. <laughs> so, But Greenberg was interesting. Let's talk about Greenberg. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> You're not going to share the, what you shared with me the other day? Oh, no, don't do that. That's his hero. <laughs> and, and I love Roger Ebert, too. So, And you know what? John oh, you know what? I know what you're talking about. That, that wasn't even me. Somebody, that was else, not John. somebody else said that. And, and I, I chuckled at it, though, even though I also like Ebert. But it was in poor taste. I don't know if I want to share that. Anyways, Greenberg. <laughs> uh, Noah Baumbach. Um, yes, actually. Have you seen it? No. You've heard of it, though. Yeah. Um, so Greenberg is, he basically, you know, he's a dick to the point of, now, th- well, here's the thing for directors and writers, too. If you're going to um, make your main character a dick you have to make the movie funny i think you have to make him a dick in humorous ways for example um as good as it gets starring jack nicholson that movie he was an asshole throughout the whole movie but he was funny right so you kind of went along for the ride now imagine watching somebody be a dick and there's no humor in it at all so not a very fun journey i think i laughed once in this movie towards the end um and and Ben Stiller's character doesn't really even go through that much of a change. He, 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 it's almost like he is a dick in the beginning of the movie, and then later on in the movie, he said he kind of seems like he's going to make an attempt to try to be less of a dick a little bit, and that's his big character arc. So, um, I wouldn't recommend this movie. I would say there's a, probably about fifteen to twenty minutes of good stuff. But unfortunately, it's a two-hour movie. Oh, what a pisser. Do you like any of his other films? Noah Baum? I think this is the first one I've ever seen of his. Well, do you know his other ones? What, what's another well-known? Um, uh, Squid and the Whale. That's the one. I've, I've heard of that, and I've heard good things, but I have not seen it. He works with Wes Anderson. He co-wrote um, Zisu and um, That's right. uh, the Claymation one. Um, Mr. Fox, Fantastic yeah. Mr. Fantastic Fox, Mr. Fox with, uh, yeah. Clooney. That's funny. You mentioned uh, Wes Anderson because I also recently watched I Heart Huckabees, and I was thinking to myself, this is the best Wes Anderson film ever directed by another director. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty great. Yeah, I liked it, but he should have let Wes Anderson direct it. 
<laughs> All right. Did you ever get around to um, Moonrise? Is that a curiosity? No. Um, I have it. Um, I own it, but um, holy shit, you own it! You yeah. own four movies. <laughs> well, uh, I only, I only bought four movies. Oh, I see. But I have come to procure others. I see. You're one of those. Our, <laughs> matey. <laughs> um, so yeah, but I haven't got around to watching it. yet. I have to say, the only reason I, I really don't do that anymore as much, but um, the reason why I did it that time is because I was on a mission to get through every Oscar movie before the Oscars because every year that's my mission and I never accomplished it before and this was the first year that I actually accomplished it. You deserve it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I feel Congratulations. Like I've never accomplished much else in my life so this was big for me. Um, I did offer to lend it to you so I suppose it's a moot point whether you ripped it or uh i lent it I, I was coming in up to the deadline so i and and they weren't playing it in theaters anymore and so that was one of the f- few ways i could get my hands on it within three hours but you didn't <laughs> but i didn't watch it so i failed in my mission anyway i did watch all the best picture nominees right i didn't watch the best screenplay nominees which that's what it was nominated for so all right and this week uh I kind of got torn between two movies, but I'm going to give a brief one and then kind of go into the other one. Uh, so I was able to go see uh, Monsters Incorporated in 3D in the theater. Hmm. Um, it lent very well to 3D, even though it was uh, post-3D, not intended for it. There were some scenes in it that were just truly spectacular on the big screen, uh, especially when Sully's hanging out of the door and you know you have the inside shot that's that's uh, fixed, and the outside shot is swaying. A lot of people say my daughter looks like Boo. Yeah, she does. <laughs> she doesn't sound like her. Yeah. Um, but anyway, it makes me want to buy a 3D TV and buy it on Blu-ray. It it really Monsters makes, Inc. makes you want to buy a 3D TV. Remember, remember we talked about uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, we saw the fourth yeah, one in 3D two weeks couple, ago. I think it was six weeks ago. Oh, there you go. Okay. Um, <laughs> There's mermaids in that one. Right? <laughs> yeah, the mermaid, the, the blood-sucking mermaids. Um, I remember you talking about it, it just that, six weeks ago. Yeah, that one did not make me want to make the jump to 3D. This movie made me want to do it. Hmm. Now I hear Jurassic Park, which is getting re-released in 3D today. Today, um, is phenomenal, as in like the best 3D movie ever released. Decided Avatar, I suppose. I never saw Avatar in 3D. That's interesting that it can be so good. The, either of these can be so good when they weren't filmed in 3D originally. It, I, this is they were made 3D in like some kind of after post production. I think it's because they're not putting trying to incorporate the standard 3D tropes of you know, hey, we're going to purposely put a scene in that has things flying at you. Yeah, it, it just really lent well to the depth, and there was scenes already built in that that really worked with the 3D. Hmm. It's not Honey, I Shrunk the Audience. No, by f- no, no, no. <laughs> I wonder what would be the worst th- movie you could transfer into 3D, like My Dinner with Andre. <laughs> <laughs> For some reason, I just thought Rosemary's Baby. I'm not <laughs> even sure if that's good or bad. Some people might that like that because that, that had some scary things in it. That movie's awesome. But I mean, just like a movie that wouldn't work in 3D. Sleepaway Camp. 
Oh, you would have suicides. <laughs> that penis really sticks out. <laughs> the Angela face is in your face. <laughs> That's the tagline. Oh. <laughs> Somebody's going to make it now. Um, but the movie I really want to talk about was uh, Snow White and the Huntsman. I really, really, really wanted to hate this movie. But you didn't. I didn't. Hmm. I did fall asleep because it was like three in the morning when I finished watching this it. This is the one with Kristen Stewart and uh, uh, him, who, who's the Huntsman? Him, Thor, right? It, is it? It's Thor. Is it Chris Hem- it's Hemsworth? Chris Hemsworth. I don't yeah, know. It's Chris yeah Hemsworth. I think that's Thor. Yeah, it's Thor. Um, I, I wasn't expecting quite the the uh, mythical ride that it gave you, but it, they did a great job catching catching or capturing uh, Middle Earthian type lore, and it was just. It was really awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. She gave her, her uh, standard upper lip, stupid face. Did he give her a mythical ride and make her <laughs> Thor? <laughs> <laughs> he threw the hammer down. <laughs> um, no, she. It was kind of this stupid love triangle, but you know the dwarfs were amazing. I should explain too that we're going to try to get through this episode without editing anything out. So if we do screw up, we're going to continue. Did she? <laughs> <laughs> Go to Valhalla. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'd go for it since you just mentioned that. <laughs> hey, we got to keep this low key. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, but it was a good movie. Uh, uh, was that 3D? It w- <laughs> no, it wasn't 3D. It was standard uh, standard digital. Can I, I ask you, Mikey, if there's any chance of having 3D movies or televisions being produced that are like the 3ds where you don't need glasses or is that technology i haven't read anything about that yet it would be amazing if they could um there was another device similar to the wii i don't i can't remember the name of it that was supposed to be coming out that had that same force 3d perspective but i haven't heard anything because i i love it on the 3ds um just i can't i can't see myself putting on stupid glasses to watch tv how do they do it on the 3DS? I don't know how they do it, but it's it's perfect. I don't know. Whatever it is, maybe it only works on a small screen. Otherwise, you would think they would already be doing it with TVs. Yeah, there's a small window. You kind of have to look at it in a certain way, and then all of a sudden there's amazing depth. Oh. I know when I'm really tired and I look at the TV and I squint one eye just enough, it'll make the image 3D. What I do is, like, I stand really far back, and then when something cool comes on, I run towards the TV really fast, <laughs> and then it looks like it's coming towards me. So when you're watching the adult films and they're getting ready for it, you're like, I want to yep. be there. <laughs> when he takes her to Valhalla <laughs> <laughs> on a mythical ride. <laughs> oh. What about you, Austin? What have you been watching? Um, okay, humorously nothing. Uh, <laughs> which is uh, it's really funny because I watch way too many movies you, and I can't believe I went through two weeks without watching a single movie of it. Oh, you literally didn't watch it? I thought you were like couldn't remember. Well, I'll, I'll still blabber about something but <laughs> um, <clears throat> I was going to watch From Up on Poppy Hill was released which is the new Studio Ghibli movie. Uh, Goro Miyazaki directed it with his dad. Hayao Miyazaki. Oh, uh, that's the one. I heard about a new Goro Miyazaki movie coming out and I was thinking is that the My Neighbor Totoro guy? But no, that was his dad, right? Right. Well, it's, it's exciting that Hayao is code, or he he planned it. I'm not sure if he did the storyboards. That's usually what he does. But because Goro's first 
effort is one of the worst movies I've ever seen, Tales from Mercy. Um, is it animated? Yeah, it's okay. just dreadful. And it really, it's a good movie to watch if you really want to understand what it's like or to have someone who doesn't know how to make a film make a film and just see it sit there. Like, it mimics a regular film, but it doesn't breathe like a film. It doesn't move. It's just placid. It's, Did his dad not help him with that one? Yeah, purposely he didn't help him with that one because... He didn't want. He didn't think he was ready, and also his son mimics his style, which kind of pissed him off. So he just uh, he's like, "You don't. You, you got to develop your own feelings for movies." And he's just like, "Whatever. I'm just going to put something on the screen." Right. The producer Suzuki said he drew a dragon well or something, and that's how he knew he was ready to make a film. But obviously, that's not true. Anyways, this movie supposedly is pretty good, although Ebert didn't like it too much. Um, he gave it two and a half stars, which he, he usually. He usually gave all of Miyazaki films four stars. But I've heard uh, from other people great things about it. Um, it's only playing in two theaters in the Valley, and I didn't make it to either of those two theaters, so um, I didn't get to see it. Maybe his dad thought he would be a better director, and and then he saw how awful he was, and he was like, oh, fuck, i got to do everything myself. Right. Yeah. Or maybe it's kind of like that, what is that, that, that hero dreams of sushi, where it's like he has to understudy from his father for 50 years before he's worthy enough to make a movie on his own right yes yeah, i've seen that <coughs> but i'm not sure he he's a Jiro dreams of sushi Jiro, yeah yeah it's a um anyway so it didn't see that didn't see uh Tourette's. what's going on Sorry, I drank all the wine. I, was, I didn't I leave it. I didn't leave any John, for Mikey. <laughs> I told him these glasses. These glasses will take. I didn't realize a how big these glasses two. were, so I kept pouring, thinking there would be more in the bottle. Mikey explained to you below the pair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you but, went to uh, the line, which is so, shortly um, below the brim. You may sip from my glass if you like, oh, but um, I'll get a straw. I do. I should mention I have a little bit of a sore throat tonight, so you should not. Um, Backwash? Make, make out with homeless people. <laughs> the more you know. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, oh yeah, so and then there was something else, Room 237, I was going to see, but that, that apparently starts today in limited release. Um, it's a documentary on The Shining. So you literally went two weeks without watching anything. Well, I- yeah, I watched The West Wing because I was still in a political mode from House of Cards, <laughs> and I just said, hey, Aaron Sorkin's cool, let's see what this is about. Did you like it? What West Wing? Yeah, uh, yeah. It, it's it's kind of funny in light of House of Cards because it, really? it's kind of sitcommy and and very like uh, ennobling for the uh, liberal agenda. We'll just put it that way. Yeah. Um, it's it's enjoyable, and certain episodes are phenomenally written that you can just tell that. This yeah, is- I actually liked that show. Uh, well, I'm only on the third episode of House of Cards, but I liked West Wing better. Mm. And yeah. I'm assuming House of Cards will get better. At- you haven't gotten any further on that. No. The, Did you finish it? No, I'm still on episode five. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so no one's going to finish that one. <laughs> I might. I mean, I intend to, but yeah. Anyways, um, so I'm just going to talk about a movie that I watched several weeks ago. I've actually told you about it. Um, pointing at John, he is. Yeah, I am pointing at John. Uh, it's uh, JM. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. <laughs> it's John, guys. <laughs> Get it right, Mr. Kent. <laughs> um. <clears throat> Heartburn is the name of the movie. It's Oh yeah, you did tell me about that. Right. It's um a Mike Nichols movie from the mid eighties directed or it's written by Nora Ephron. That's why you told me about it, because I'm a huge Nora Ephron fan. Right, and I am too, and I kinda just thought she had Harry Met Sally and the 
Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan movies. Yeah. And then some other ones of various successes or failures. Mixed nuts. Yeah, exactly. That was on the Ebert's I hate, hate, hate was it? list. Yeah. Uh, underappreciated gem. Oh, you like it? Uh, I already loved Nora Ephron by the time I saw that movie. So I think I was being really generous and saying, ah, it'll get better. Ah, it'll get better. And right. it, it wasn't as terrible as Ebert made it out to be. I, I think it's because it's a French remake and he just saw that they went to a lot of American cliches on it. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it has Steve Martin. I know how bad can it be? Well, never mind. I mean, <laughs> cheaper by the dozen, right? <laughs> yeah. Didn't he make some movie with Queen Latifah that was terrible, too? Bring it down the house? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I love Steve Martin. For such a brilliant guy, he yeah. did make some stinker movies. Right. In fact, I can only th- I only think he's made about four or five good ones. Yeah, um, The Jerk, Three Amigos. <laughs> <laughs> Man with Two Brains. Um, Roxanne. Uh, was Roxanne? I like Roxanne yeah. a lot. Okay, yeah. we can wrote we can one. count so Roxanne. We'll Roxanne. That's four. Um, uh, how L- about L.A. Story was good. No? Oh yeah, L.A. Story is great. So that's five. And he wrote the last two that we've mentioned. Um, Shop Girl is great. Oh, I haven't seen Shop Girl. It's great. That's mm-hmm. good. So wait, he wrote Bringing Down the House and uh, no, no, he he wrote oh, okay. Rox the script for Roxanne. He wrote the script for um, what's the movie we mentioned? L.A. Story. Yeah. Okay. Wasn't he in the, wasn't he cheaper by the do- by the dozens as well? I mean, he might have, but that was. Terrible. Yeah, yeah. Bowfinger he wrote. Never saw it. Was it good? Um, I had to revisit it. I if he wrote it, then I'll probably watch yeah. it. But still, we're at five good Steve Martin movies. Um, Parenthood, I think, is highly overrated. Yeah, I, Father what, of the Bride is highly, oh, highly overrated. overrated. Oh, my God. People love that movie way more than they need to. Whenever you mention um, Parenthood or anyone, I, I think of Bad Dudes, the arcade game. Why? Because I'm bad. They're playing bad. He's playing bad dudes with his son. Oh, I don't even remember that. That's and he, funny. And he says something like, you know, it's a hard game. These are bad dudes. And it was just, <laughs> <laughs> the, the only part I remember from that movie was um, when Keanu had the heart to heart about the kid who was slapping, slapping right. the salami. And he goes, I told him that's what little dudes do. Yeah. <laughs> that's, oh, and then Keanu did get the Keanu best line in that movie, too. He's, uh, you know, you need a, a license to drive a car. You need a license to catch a fish, but they'll let any asshole be a father. Right. I don't think the movie's that bad. No, but, and you know what? Keanu's performance wasn't that bad because, once again, he got to play himself. Right. And he made a career off of that until he had to play other people, and then he sucked ever since. Although, you got to give him props for going for um, my own private Idaho. He played... um, a gay prostitute with uh, River Phoenix. So. Yeah, well, I don't give him props for accepting a role. Anybody can do that. I don't think he did particularly well with it. No, you I, think he was good in that movie? I mean, River is by far better. But yeah. at the same time, he is playing someone who's just slumming it, and he's not really of the lifestyle. So I, I think for what he was, it works. I, I don't know. I love that movie, so I can't <laughs> think about that. <laughs> Yeah, I hate. I, I've probably got too much Keanu hate. Like, I've got an abnormally. I don't like the Matrix. Large. Yeah, I hate. Yeah, that gives me any props. I liked it in the day, but I. I, I you know, I love that movie when it came out. I can't sit through it now. Hmm. Hmm. Might just be certain expectations have changed. Yeah, I think the only thing I hate more than Keanu is is Marky Mark. But he's really funny in I Heart Huckabees. Marky Mark. Oh no, he's terrible. <laughs> I thought I thought he was the worst part of that movie and he damn near ruined it for me. His part is so poorly written 
And as poorly written as it is, it is even <laughs> more poorly acted. And he yeah, is it's, so it's great. so <laughs> one-dimensional. I don't think that's intentional because the rest of the movie is is brilliant in many ways and funny in many ways. And then you've got this guy. I, it, it almost seems like He's David O. Russell wrote him in because he was his friend, but there he wasn't originally in the script, and he just kind of got squeezed in there. He seems very disconnected in everything he's doing in that movie. I, I don't think that's intentional. <laughs> I don't know if it is or not, but it cracks me up. Like <laughs> like when he's riding his bike and <laughs> not like traffic or whatever. <laughs> that's funny to me. <laughs> um, thanks, Mikey. Yeah, yeah, got you covered. Anyways, uh, what were the hell? Miyazaki, come on, come back around. Goro. No, heartburn. Heartburn. Yeah, That's go. right. Honestly, I got your back. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so yeah, it's it's um semi autobiographical, uh, nor Ephraim for I think it was a play first. So it's about her marriage. Yeah, it's to about a, uh, whom? I, I forget. He it, was a famous guy, wasn't he? Yeah, like as in like network exec or something like that, or. He wasn't famous as an artistic talent. Um, But anyways, stars Meryl Streep and Jack Nicholson and... uh, Jack... Wait, what was her her husband again? Yeah, I don't know. Um, It it wasn't someone that was creative. I think it was some, like, a network exec or somebody in the theatrical world or something like that. Okay. And he was a dick? Uh, Not really. I'm not... This it's a hard movie to interpret because I don't necessarily think Jack Nicholson's a dick in it, despite the fact that he is a dick in all of his movies. <laughs> kind of, <laughs> this, this, despite the fact that he cheats on her, um, it, it's 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 way more grounded than the rest. I mean, they're still like celebrity backgrounds. I think his her mom. Meryl Streep's mom was in Hollywood or something like that. So like, hmm. there's there's still like this little, you know, she loves Hollywood and she loves playing with, with these notions or these um, lines that have to do with Hollywood or have to do with actors or referencing different movies like A Fair to Remember and Sleepless in Seattle. You know, that's a major plot point actually. But um, this movie was before Sleepless in Seattle. Oh, yeah. though. This it, was in the seventies, right? No, uh, early eighties. Early like eighty four, oh, okay. if I want, uh, maybe eighty six. Anyways, okay. in that little nook, there yeah, in the middle. Basically, they meet. They're gonna marry. They're gonna marry in somebody's apartment. And Meryl Streep spends the day in her locked in her room as people come in, and she talks about marriage and ex- low expectations and how can somebody go through this she's talking about it like it's an abstract notion not like she's about to get married and jack nicholson's just kind of hanging out and then they finally get married and they move into this house that had, i think it burned down so the house is always in, in various stages of being refurbished refinished it's it's incomplete which is a obvious metaphor for their own relationship damn it <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was smart for getting that metaphor, but then you said it was obvious. I liked it, if that makes you feel any better. Oh, good. I actually thought it was better than what it sounded, so I, I kind of downplayed it. Um, now and, I don't. Oh, and this will make you feel better. Uh, it's actually riffing on Godard's Contempt, which is one of the best movies ever made. Oh, okay. So. And now I don't like the money pit very much anymore. 
<laughs> well, the money <laughs> isn't a subtle examination of a marriage gone awry. <laughs> you just didn't get it, man. <laughs> <laughs> I love the Pratt Falls. I mean, the only thing I, I really think about with Money Pit is that one scene where he's like half asleep and he's like walking outside and buckets are falling on his head or something like that. The right? Money Pit is like an examination of how we all like throw our desired things into things that don't deserve the desired things that we're putting into it. It's the collapse man. of the bourgeois class, man. <laughs> and they're both drinking. In Reagan society. Um, but what was Voodoo that? economics. Trickle down, baby. Did I say trickle down, baby? <laughs> he did. And I did. <laughs> I follow orders. So heartburn. Um... <laughs> The interesting part of the movie for me is they, uh, she gets pregnant. She has a baby. That then, would be the interesting part for me, too, <laughs> that watching her get pregnant. Right. <laughs> really, the movie just stops. And it becomes hardcore for a while. I thought it was unusual for Nora. Um, but it was a brave choice. Uh, she was like the Von Trier of her generation. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of that, not to derail, but we've derail. Who yeah. cares? <laughs> um, what do you think of his new project? Um, I remember. You know what's funny? We talked about this on a uh, an old podcast that was maybe five weeks ago. <laughs> that is hilarious. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I I remember saying that his new project was going to be like a hardcore porn. And we were asking who we would like to star in this movie. And uh, I suggested Jennifer Love Hewitt. I think Mikey. I forget who you suge- Who did you suggest? I don't even remember. And, and you refused to suggest. Yeah, I'm, I'm approved. <laughs> but anyway, oh, you know what was insightful is that you said it's probably going to be Gainsbourg again. Oh, and she it, is, isn't it? And it totally is. So I got to give you props for calling that one. But also Christian Slater, and he sent him an actual porn like of himself having sex with somebody as an audition tape. Christian Slater did? Wow. And he got the role. Well, I, wow. it, I applaud him. When you need the work, <laughs> you really need the work. Your TV career is really not doing dick. Yeah, he was in the West Wing for a few episodes. Yeah. And uh, sh- what's funny, Shia LaBeouf is in it as well. Oh, the yeah, yeah. yeah. So now we'll get to see Shia in LaBeouf. Well, maybe. Uh, I think what will happen is there will be Frodo eyes where they take their heads and put them on. Frodo eyes? You know how um, Elijah Wood's face was digitally put on um, little people's heads? I thought you were oh. going for more like they'd have him there, but his thing would be bigger. Or, you know, when she's there, it would be like a stand-in that was bigger. Oh, yeah, that's what you're saying. But, no, I, I think just body doubles that are performing I, sexual acts. I thought Frodo just walked on his knees like Dorf on golf. Yes. <laughs> I fucking love that shit, man. <laughs> Come on, man. That got old in, like, ten seconds. <laughs> what we have here is the dog a leg. <laughs> he did the um the toe touches, and that was really the funny part. <laughs> <laughs> and after that it's just like we have this uh, tape called ladies. yeah i actually heard uh or read like um tim, what's his name tim what tim conway, conway. tim yeah. conway but i read an interview about nymphomaniac that said that they are they're digitally <laughs> re- juxtaposition yeah. conversation. <laughs> they're, they're digitally replacing like parts um so that the actors uh not the actors have the option whether they want to um do the hardcore scenes themselves or have them replaced with like porn actors. Mm-hmm. So, but now it's not going to be your typical body double scenario where 
oh, you can't see their face and now you can see their junk. But it will literally be, it'll look like you were seeing Shia in LaBeouf, but right. really it's probably not his lower extremities. Now, what do you suppose is going to be his point in all this? You know, that's, you can never tell with Lars, and that's part of the reason why I love his film so much. Um, so, I don't know. It's He is one of the filmmakers that can surprise me every single time I watch a movie. I, I go in with a certain expectation, and it's never like I expected. So... Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I'm looking forward to learning about it though. And it's four hours long, apparently. Shut up. Are you <laughs> the serious? first cut? Yeah, it's, it's four hours. longer than our old podcast. Yeah, exactly. This, this one's one. going pretty long, actually. I think, what are we at now? The two hour mark or close to it. But, um, yeah, it's, so I don't know if he's going to edit that down, but, um, the editor said something along the lines of, yeah, it's four hours long, but we don't know what to cut because it's all so good. So... Hmm. Take that for what you will. Um, yeah, really heartburn. Um, the only thing, <laughs> and to be fair, I'm the one derailing this. This whole podcast should be you trying to talk about heartburn <laughs> and us just going off on tangents. Um, after she has the child, it's just kind of absorbed that she's not paying any attention to Jack Nicholson, as that sometimes happens where the mother gets totally obsessed with the child and yep. completely misses the man. So. You and me both, buddy. Let me tell you. (laughs) Mikey, you got kids. I had kids. Um, So that's why I say it's more complicated than that. And I'm not going to go into... Okay, first of all, don't read the Netflix description if you watch it because the jackass who wrote it literally watched the last... I think they just skipped to the end and just wrote the very ending of the movie. Oh, so he spoils it. In the movie description. I usually read those. I'm sending Netflix an email tonight. Yeah. But... um. It's it left me feeling kind of dirty, incomplete oh. for a few days. It, it, hmm. it it's a weird ending, and it, it in the same way that a relationship feels unresolved, where there's things that you feel like you should say but don't serve any point because you're as equally to blame. That kind of incomplete feeling. Did it scare you off of marriage? <laughs> scared him away from kids. Um, Neither, no, it doesn't have that power, but uh, it just it felt true, and uh, it's it's now one of my favorite Norafrim projects. And Mike Nichols is always fantastic with directors, despite him really falling off. I mean, he's a weird director. I'm glad you brought that up, because when you originally told me about it, I was like, oh, man, I want to watch this. And then, of course, I totally forgot about it right. until you just brought it up now. So now I'm all like, I got to totally watch this again. Yeah, we'll like see in, in two weeks if I actually do. How long? Two weeks. <laughs> Has anyone seen Total Recall yet? No, we, we talked about um, it last week. You know what? There's no reason to see. If the first one is perfect, why do you need to well, see? I want to know if that is in there. I guarantee you it's not. No, it, it seems to go a completely different route. Uh, like, yeah. It seems to be more about memory than a Mars action movie. Yes. <laughs> Hollywood, stop remaking perfect movies. If it's already perfect, you cannot improve on perfection. Remake flawed movies, please. Like the Batman series. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're going to go ahead and move on to our top ten lists. Um, John, you ready to go? I'm ready to go. Um, my number three 
Number three is I forgot it now. Oh, uh, it's being John Malkovich. Uh, that movie. Oh, that movie. Oh man, <coughs> that movie completely blew my mind and redefined. And, and well, I should start back further. Uh, so I I like used to write short stories that were kind of along those same kind of like nonsensical lines. Like if something didn't make sense, but it was kind of funny, then I would put it in there anyway. And I never, ever imagined that stuff like that could turn into a movie. And and when I saw Being John Malkovich, I was like, oh, my God, not only can this turn into a movie, but this kind of stuff can make a brilliant movie and a great movie that people love. And it got lots of critical acclaim and, and a lot of people loved it. And, and it actually made money, which was kind of cool because a lot of Charlie Kaufman's movies don't make money. Um He's the screenwriter who wrote it, um, and I believe uh, Spike Jones directed it, and it's just completely original. If you have not seen this movie, I have to tell you, it is like nothing else you will ever see in your life, and it's like nothing you've ever seen before, and you will love it. There's no way that anybody, even Mikey, does not like this movie. Uh-oh. Oh. <laughs> I can't stand the movie. Oh, you bastard! I, I've tried. I've, I sat through it once when it first came out. You had the privilege of sitting through it. You mean? Let me, you didn't even laugh. I had the chore of sitting through it. I laughed a couple times. Okay. Was it the Malkovich tunnel, or is Malkovich Malkovich, and everybody's Malkovich? That was about the only funny part. How oh about, my god! Just just thinking of obvious moments. How about Elijah's flashback? That wasn't funny. No. <laughs> Dude, there are so many parts of that. Like them, even them getting shoved out into a uh, like a reservoir by the expressway, <laughs> the New exit. Jersey Turnpike. Yeah, the Turnpike. <laughs> I everything yeah. about that movie was brilliant, and I have to say, Charlie Kaufman has only gotten better since then. And he didn't have far to go. You should see <laughs> his other movies. Eternal Sunshine of a Spotless Mind is one of his better known movies. Um, that one's excellent. And then um, Synecdoche, New York. Boy, is that a good one. And uh, if I didn't pick it as my number 10, I probably would have picked it as my number three. <laughs> so if that's your number 10, how could you say that he got better? Well, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying that I picked that as my number 10 when I originally made the list. And ever since then, every movie I've mentioned, oh, I think regret. I like a little less than Synecdoche, New York. All right. It's kind of like me where... It- the very week that I say the movie, I don't actually agree with what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, it's weird how we have, you know, we're we're a slave to our whims. So, yeah, I'm. I guess I'm moody in that way. But being John Malkovich is brilliant. There's a uh, portal into John Malkovich's head, and the portal is located in an office behind a filing cabinet. But it's like a half office. Yeah, and oh, there's uh, the the orientation video didn't make you laugh. Yeah. Man, that is so funny. Here's the thing. If you haven't seen it, it w- you will see things in this movie you've never seen before, and you will laugh at things that you've never thought you would laugh at because you've never even imagined them in your wildest dreams. I, so I highly recommend it. I Go thought on. Joe versus the Volcano was better. Yeah, I'm going to kick know. you in the balls. <laughs> <laughs> now that you mentioned Joe versus the Volcano, though, that, that was a personal favorite of Roger Ebert's, and that's another reason why I really liked the man because I also watched that movie religiously as a child. 
I'm, I'm really just that all that's true but i'm joking by bringing right <laughs> not a huge fan but it, oddly enough my wife who admits she knows nothing about movies loves joe versus the volcano and she loved um the malik movie that you didn't like which one was that yeah the brave new world the new world the new world there yeah. you go so. Yeah, maybe my wife should be on this show. <laughs> <laughs> she knows a hell of a lot more than I do. No, that's not. True. I just come on here I'm not and saying that's true or not. I don't know talk about horse knows. fucking. <laughs> but being John Malkovich is uh, brilliant, and um, it, it's it's a really dark examination of people's motives, which is oh my god. If, if if you're inclined to laugh at the human condition, then it's really funny, and if you're not, then it gets really depressing. But. That seems to be a theme of Charlie Kaufman's. It's like you will find yourself laughing at other people's suffering, <laughs> and you will feel like a bastard for doing it. You're like, oh, that's so sad. Why am I laughing? I'm a bad person. I'm going to hell. And then you laugh harder, and and eventually you just have to accept it. You're like, I guess I'm a bad person. Yeah, I think my favorite... Maybe I've even mentioned this on the show before, but my favorite Charlie Kaufman moment of making you feel bad but laughing is uh, an adaptation when he has that fantasy about the waitress, um, Greer. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then them going to the woods and <laughs> immediately fucking. <laughs> and then, like, in real life, he says, like, one likes like the slightest thing that's probably not even a come on or something like that. And then she like looks disgusted. <laughs> he said, yeah, do you want to, if you like orchids, you should come to the flower show with me. And she's like, oh, oh, like, and yeah, she has this look like, oh my God, is he asking me out? Yeah, and then she immediately goes to her female friend, waitress, and oh. immediately, obviously just says, this jerk asked me out. And she looks equally disgusted. <laughs> <laughs> Did you, you, <laughs> okay, my, I got to share my favorite <coughs> suffering, like pain and suffering that you laugh at scene then in Synecdoche, New York, after he, <laughs> he hasn't seen his daughter for like 20 years. And then he finally tracks her down <laughs> and she's, yeah, Austin knows this. She's in the hospital and she's dying. And, and he's trying to talk to her and she's saying now she he did not abandon her the mother basically kidnapped her and took her away to another country so he didn't get to see her but then the mother told her that uh that he left because he ran he ran off with his gay lover and so his daughter's on her deathbed and he's trying to relate to his daughter and she's like why did you abandon me and he's like i didn't abandon you and she's like, I'm dying. Can't you at least tell the truth? Give me this one thing before I die. Just admit that you ran off with your gay lover so I can die in peace. And this poor guy has to sit there for his daughter's peace and wellness. He says, yes, I admit it. I ran off with my gay lover and abandoned you. And oh, my God. It, I, I like tears came down because I was so sad. And then more tears came down because I was laughing so hard. And, yeah, oh, man, I had to admit I was an evil son of a bitch after that movie. <laughs> but it's great. It's great. You have to see it. Charlie Kaufman is a genius. And his latest movie, Frank or Francis, is um, kind of stuck in limbo, which I'm really sad about. Because I guess uh, Synecdoche, New York, didn't make enough money, so he's having trouble putting together financing to make another movie. I guess you're only as good as your last one yeah what have you done for me lately it's a shame because he's so freaking brilliant right i think every the general consensus is that he is absolutely hands down the most original writer in hollywood right and 
everybody will say he's probably one of the best in the top 10 for sure, but everybody agrees he's the most original. Well, Synecdoche even got great reviews. Like some of them, some of the, I mean, it got polarizing reviews. Some of them it were, did. this is the worst movie ever made. But I that, think Ebert hated it. No, he gave it four stars. Oh, did he? Oh, who am I and thinking of? Actually, just to praise him a little more, uh, <laughs> he, he, when he, submitted his most recent site and sound poll it was between Tree of Life or Synecdoche New York that he was going to put in his top 10 best movies of all time did Synecdoche win? no but but that makes it number 11 that's okay Uh, (laughs) no but it's still you love Tree of Life yeah but Synecdoche is better than Tree of Life Life, (laughs) oh yeah the reason he put it in because he said Tree of Life is the positive of Synecdoche's negative I will give you that so he uh, he is one for the positive reinforcement. I think Charlie's goal, Charlie Kaufman's goal in every movie is to have you laugh and cry at the same time, and not cry because you're laughing so hard. Like literally cry because your heart is breaking, and literally laugh at the same time. Right. The way he marginalizes men, like the way he makes it, it he obviously makes you feel for that situation, yeah. but at the same time, he, he's poking fun of male behavior it's like he thinks of every possible embarrassing thing that could ever happen to a human being and he makes it all happen to this one person dry awkwardness yeah (laughs) just sensational it's bad for two of us at the table (laughs) (laughs) so austin uh what's your number three um i think i decided that it's going to be the shining uh the shining huh now there are other kubrick films that are better uh 2001 is one of the most perfect films ever made. I'm surprised to see that on your list. Uh, Barry Lyndon is one of the most perfect movies ever made. And Eyes Wide Shut is another one that's a personal favorite. That It was really kind of between Eyes Wide Shut and The Shining. But The Shining just cracks me up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting to see why you put this above all those other movies. Um, I mean... it. It, it, it makes me laugh because everyone thinks it's like the scariest movie of all time, but I don't think Kubrick thought it. I think he's making fun of horror movies. I think it's an examination of the thought process behind horror movies because really the only thing that's going on is <clears throat> Jack Torrance isn't as talented as he really wants to be. He's not as great as he really wants to be. And when given the opportunity to prove himself, it all caves in on him. He becomes a woman-hating uh violent psychopath really and um but it's just how he's teasing with that how that it's like built on the uh, indian burial graveyard and everything and that has nothing to do with anything (laughs) how the visions that wendy torrent sees are hilarious such as the uh the guy entails with the axe in his head saying cheers or something like that (laughs) so you didn't find this movie scary at all you found it funny oh yeah and that's why it's your you realize most people think this is one of the scariest movies ever made i don't know why and they don't find it funny at all it it is it's it's disturbing in a way that's examining male female relationships and Mm. that's where he's going with it um just just for being creepy all work and no play makes jack a dull boy that might be the creepiest moment i've ever seen in a movie just because just rewatching it and knowing when he's sitting there diligently working, <laughs> that's all he's typing. And I mean that that just reinforces that whole you don't know who your spouse is. Like we yeah. we think we have these connections that are just not there at all. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, and I mean, there's like that great moment when he's looking down in the model of the labyrinth, and then you, you see him and her and her son walking. That's another movie that also reinforces that he feels impotent because her son 
gains more power mm. because he gets alcoholic and then he abuses the sun. Um, and just just sheer tour de force performance by Jack Nicholson. I'm driving through L.A. and I see the LACMA. I need to see that. Go there. LACMA has like this exhibit of uh, all this memorabilia from Kubrick films. Hmm, that's cool. And you see uh, Jack Nicholson breaking through the door. And, like his eyes are... <laughs> With the here's Johnny line. Yeah. Yep. Which I heard, I don't know if this is true or not, it might be a stupid rumor that that line was improvised. It wasn't in the script. I don't know, because the script is so over the top at that point. It, it's possible. <laughs> it's, it's more like that might have been a rewrite that day because Kubrick was giving everybody new pages each mm, day. Nice. Um, but just, just that scene also, it's a friend of mine... And I always laugh at this. Um, so this is somebody else that thinks this movie is funny. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, when she finds out that that's what he wrote and everything that... Red Drum? Oh, no. Uh, oh, all, all work, work in the play? Okay. Um, and she's backing up on the staircase. Yeah. And he's like, Wendy, darling, <laughs> light of my life. <laughs> <laughs> just the frustration that's coming through his voice is so funny. And it's just the way how he... How that's... To an extent, understandable. Like, I, I forget where I heard this, but um, I think it was on the A Life in Pictures Kubrick documentary. Someone says, Jack Torrance, now that's one man I understand, which I thought was a hilarious <laughs> brave quote. That's awesome. But, I mean, just just in that, and how you understand to an extent that she's a pathetic wife, and <laughs> but you also see that he's a pathetic person. And that's the same thing with Eyes Wide Shut, where she provokes him by saying, I have a sexual identity, and that gives him license to apparently cheat. Like, he never actually does, but he has intent to do it. And he does it with a free conscience. Yep. (laughs) When actually she didn't actually do anything to him. (laughs) He gets in your mindset so brilliantly. Um, I didn't even mention uh, Scatman Crothers, is that his name? uh, Is he in that? Oh, he is. Yeah, the only dude that dies. Um, Yeah. How it's just so funny how... When they <laughs> zoom out and he has that naked, that portrait of the naked woman with the afro. Oh, I don't remember. Do you remember that? that? It's so random because he's it's he's like been... a paternal figure, and then like he has like, <laughs> this like foxy brown poster <laughs> in his room. Foxy brown was pretty hot, but I think he's he's mocking this idea of the magical black man. Where I, I think he's just he just wanted to twist that. Um, but this does make me feel bad for Mr. Crothers. Uh, <laughs> I wrote a biography on Kubrick, and apparently they shot the scene of him getting slammed with the axe and falling to the ground a hundred times in a row. Oh, my God. And finally, Jack Nicholson was like, let's call this a day. (laughs) 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 But he just gets in, like, these tunnels where you're doing the same scene for days and days. That's funny that Jack had to be the one that did that. Scatman was like, whatever. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Do it again. I I don't know. I think... he was he was ready to fall down quicker and quicker. You know, he's an old man. His legs were probably tiring. But um, have really, you, oh, go ahead. I've I've really just I could talk about it forever. It's it's such a funny movie. Have you ever seen the uh, the Simpsons episode that parodies that? Yeah, and w- when I originally watched it, I thought that was the funniest thing I've ever seen. Yeah, but recently I went back to it, and I did, I th- I probably built it up too much in my mind. Oh. I remember um, groundskeeper Willie tearing off his shit. Yeah, for the shinning. Yeah. But the, my favorite part is when he's Homer's going up the staircase after and he's like, 
all work and no play makes Homer something something. <laughs> and she goes, go crazy? And he goes, don't mind if I do. <laughs> yeah, Homer going over the top was pretty funny. Yeah, that was brilliant. And then all, the other thing I find funny about this is that as brilliant and as perfect as that movie is, Stephen King, who I hate and think is highly overrated, uh, and <laughs> this just proves my point, <laughs> Stephen King says... Oh my God, that Stanley Kubrick douchebag didn't know what he was doing with my movie. I better produce my own version so I can make it right. With the dude from Wings. In yeah, it. and so he got <laughs> Steven Weber to star in it, and he made a made-for-TV version of it, and it was crap, and everybody forgot about it like instantly, mm-hmm. and they just think of The Shining as Kubrick's thing now and not Stephen King's thing, so... Yeah, Stephen King, just be glad that Kubrick even like decided to touch your work even though he had to make it perfect from its imperfect state. Right. And actually um Kubrick would goes through he would go through books like he'd read the first chapter and then throw it against the wall. He would just go to used bookstores and just buy books. That's funny. That's how I felt the last time I read a Stephen King book. I wanted to throw it <laughs> In fact, I may have thrown it against the wall. I don't remember. Right. But I wanted to so obviously he saw something in The Shining that wasn't actually there, but he could write into it. <laughs> it sparked and I, it inspired him. Right, that central relationship probably. I mean, yeah. all of his films deal with that male inadequacy. Well, what's um, funny is Stephen King probably had no no idea when he wrote it, but it it sparked something in Kubrick. Right, and uh, King said, I felt like he wanted to hurt people with it. So I think that just shows he <laughs> he's not looking at it from the same level of human nature that yeah. Kubrick is capable of doing so with humor. Stephen King is like, you know the old saying, you know, a million monkeys typing for a million years will eventually come up with Shakespeare or something like that. Stephen King is those monkeys because he, he <laughs> writes 27 books a month. So eventually something kind of accidentally ends up being kind of good. Right. And then people heap all kinds of praise on him. But He's really, he's really not good. But and if you don't believe me, then read Needful Things from start to finish. <laughs> and by the end of that book, you will want to throw it against the wall. Um, don't watch the movie. Read the book. It has a different ending. You do like Shawshank, though. I do like Shawshank, but I like Shawshank because of Frank Darabont. I right. think um, you know Stephen King accidentally wrote a, a short story that was decent, and Darabont turned it into a great movie. And Shining, same thing. Yeah, not I believe so. Do you have a number three, Mikey? My number three is uh, a Jackie Chan movie. It's The Legend of Drunken Master. Oh, I've never seen that one. Not Drunken Master, but The Legend of Drunken Master, which is when he did kind of a remake, I think it was about ten years after the original Drunken Master came out. Oh, so he... Okay, so this is the sequel. The sequel is... No, it's not a sequel. It's a remake? It's... Reboot? Not really a... It's more of a reboot. Okay. Yeah, he... uh, Basically got better at Kung Fu, got a little bit more pr- money for production, and uh, t- got a little a drunker. Much, yeah, oh yeah, a lot of bit drunker, <laughs> and uh, it, much better story. Uh, you know, I, I'm kind of a Jackie Chan fan, and uh, watching other ones like Rumble in the Bronx, and uh, comparing the two, or even any of the other films like uh, Operation Condor, or um, Super Cop, Super Cop, or Project A, Project A. Project Y, whatever it is, you know. <laughs> Rush he's, Hour. He's got a lot that he's done. <laughs> the Tuxedo. Oh, Tuxedo was terrible. Around the World in 80 Days. What was the, the, the cowboy Shanghai one? Shanghai Nights. Shanghai, oh, Shanghai Nights was bad. Uh, what was the first one? Shanghai Noon? Noon? That yeah. one was okay. Yeah. 
Yeah. But anyway, um, really a fantastic movie. I mean, it has all all your standard uh, Hong Kong tropes. It has the axe gang in it. Uh, lots of uh, lots of long shot kung fu scenes that don't get dry. He seems to mix up between weapon styles, uh, martial arts styles, and I, I believe he only gets drunk like maybe two times in the movie. Hmm. And uh, one of the times is in a um, some sort of factory where they, I think it's like a steel factory, and so he's spitting alcohol everywhere, and it's like fires going up, and he's all burned and shit, and. He's fighting this badass that kicks his ass primarily, but you that's know. funny. I am a huge Jackie Chan fan, and this is one of the few movies that I've never seen. No, yeah. this this is the best Jackie Chan movie. Hmm, nice. I you know, and you've told me to watch this before, and I haven't. And I I think the reason I haven't is because it's not on Netflix. It's not on Netflix. Um, it was on there for a brief period of time, but you know, it, there's not a lot of fight scenes, but mm. the fight scenes that are in there are very long. Mm. But they're not boring by any stretch of the Good. imagination. Are we talking about not on Netflix at all or not on streaming? Well, when I say not on Netflix, I mean not on Netflix streaming, streaming okay. because almost everything's available on Netflix DVD, but who the hell wants that anymore? Not even Netflix itself wants you to use their DVDs <laughs> anymore. So I, You know, I think I have two copies of this movie if you want to borrow one of them. Do you seriously? Yeah. Oh, I would love to, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, it, it's fantastic kung fu movie, fantastic movie all around. Um, watch it, not English dubbed. Right. Um, Good advice. Fantastic. I can't say anything better. I mean, Shanghai Noon's a good movie if you want an American version of a Jackie Chan film, but man, this is a good Hong Kong version. I have to say, Mikey, this is the first movie on your top ten list that I've actually said to myself, I need to see that. (laughs) What's the matter? You don't like Knight's Tale? I don't don't know if it's the first, but... um no, it's not because I actually took your recommendation. Hunt for Red October, for, yeah. yeah, amazing movie. I liked it a lot, um, uh, but uh, because yeah, Jack I, Ryan was played by a good actor, <laughs> it's certainly better than um, what's his name, Harrison, Harrison Ford. Ford. <laughs> well, Harrison Ford and uh, Where's my wife? <laughs> what did somebody play Jack Ryan? No, that's I didn't. Oh, kill ben, my wife. didn't I Ben Affleck play Jack Ryan? Ben Affleck. Yeah, is who I was trying to think of. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, uh, I've been meaning to see this for a while too. I like Jackie Chan. Affleck belongs good. behind the camera. Yeah, yeah. Um, Argo's pretty darn exciting. Did you see his other directed movies? Gone, Be- Baby Gone. Yeah, Baby and then uh, didn't he direct The Town also? Oh, yeah. Uh, no, uh, but now that I know that he's actually a capable director, I'll yeah. check those out. Yeah, oh. I, I was shocked. I was pleasantly surprised right. by Argo. And I, I think we were talking Argo, about... Argo, fuck yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, I don't know how much of a movie it is. Well, it, it's a fantastic movie. That, I said that the exact opposite way. It's a, it's a lot of movie. I don't know how great of a film it is. Like, wait, I don't, wait, which one are we talking about? Argo. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah but just, just as, a, like I say, a date movie, it's, it's great. extremely exciting. Have you seen it? Which one? Argo. Nope. You should. Legend of the Drunken Master. Yeah, the, even the, the art style that they put in with the, the backgrounds and... It's just a it's a really good movie. I mean, it's almost like a, a period Hong Kong movie. I'm gonna it's go really back and stuff. watch it. That was always my favorite character in Virtua Fighter was the the drunken, <laughs> the drunken kung fighter. fu guy. Yeah, does he do like kind of a k- kabuki like? Yeah, crazy yeah. All his fu. moves were like that. It's not well. Yeah, I guess you could. I mean, it's more of a a circular, very close fighting style. Um, way more polished than the original Drunken Master that he did. But by far, I've watched a few other Drunken Master-type movies, and best 
drunken style I've seen by far. So was the the first drunken master not worth watching, or is that one good too? And this one was just better. No, I mean it's 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 like up there with Operation Jackal type of quality. Condor. No, no Operation. There's Jackal. An Operation Jackal. There's a, yeah, Jackal. Type. I have it in my. Wow, there's two Jackie Chan movies I haven't seen. Oh, there's a lot of Jackie Chan movies. <laughs> yeah, but I've seen a lot of Jackie Chan movies. I uh, thought I there was only like three or four that I haven't seen. No, there's like 70 Jackie Chan movies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's it, the, the fighting style is nowhere near as good. The, mm. the production quality, not great, but it, the fighting is just so good. And it's so well choreographed. And the costuming is really good. And it, 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 you'll... you'll pick up on some of the his his uh his company that is in this movie that you'll see in other movies and everyone is just hitting their hitting it it's just so well done hmm. and with that i think we're going to move on with our feature presentation uh this week we watched uh holy motors holy motors I, oh, man I missed well, it. I was like holy i was shit. like holy cars and i was like motor holy rusted metal holy batman and, but uh yeah, some of us watched Holy Motors, but <laughs> I had a hell of a time watching this thing because I normally watch Netflix on my Wii, but it kept freezing on me. So I only got about halfway through this movie, but um, you guys feel free to uh, to uh, talk about it, and I, I will chime in at least on the first 45 minutes of it. Um, I suppose I can attempt to. Please do. <laughs> okay, so... It's it's about a man who is more or less an actor, or a Performer? performance artist. There you go. Um, but at the same time, later in the movie, you might have to start questioning what what he is. Uh, he he starts his day and he has like ten assignments or something like that. And then he goes to the first one. He's an old lady, and he's trying to get money, and nobody's giving him money. And, and he's thinking about how lonely life is when you die at an old age and there's nobody to lean on you or to lean on. And then his second role is um, he's doing a motion capture for some sort of pornographic D&D. He's got some moves, though. He did some kung fu moves <laughs> right. before he did the uh, That's true. The sexy moves. And it, it is kind of an interesting where it's just like, the violence and sex of media because he's, he's running on a treadmill firing off a semi-automatic or something. Like yeah. That. that was pretty funny. Um, and then he's licking a snake a woman's cover. vagina. Yeah. 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 Um, and then he moves on to his third one where he's this very unpleasant looking man with a, almost like a leprechaunish. Yeah. Yeah. And he does have leprechaunish, um, characteristics and he kind of works himself into his role. I, I did find it interesting that he said shit when he read his assignment as if either he's done this before or he, he there's certain assignments he really doesn't want to do. I can understand why this one would be one he didn't want to do. Um, especially going down in the sewer without shoes on just right there. That'd be probably, that's the unpleasantest thing that you could think <laughs> of that he did in that role. Well, kind of, I mean, think about what's in the sewer. Like was there any chance of him getting out he of there? He bit off that? a woman's fingers. Right. Yes. <laughs> well, up to that, up to that point before he bit off the, you know, I didn't have a problem with that, but he was just eating flowers. And money, yeah. and I'm like, what is he doing? I knew a girl in high school that like ate some flowers, and she was from Australia, and she said like eating flowers was like a big insult. It was like a big fuck you to the person who gave you the flowers. Mm. So she, eating them off of a grave would probably be. I, uh, you know, that was in Australia, and this movie's French. I doubt there's a connection, but 
Did it was bizarre. You know, he ate everything, though. He ate yeah. the flowers. He ate her fingers. He ate her hair. He ate some money, and then he ate her hair. So I think there was definitely some kind of geophagic whatever. I don't know what message they were getting at, but. It was interesting how he cut her dress, and she looked kind of like a Muslim woman. Um, yeah. And then he made Who it. Who was it that was Kylie Minogue? Minogue? No, that was um, Eva Mendes. Eva Mendes. And then he took off his clothes, put flowers on them, and then she kind of adjusted it so she looked like the Virgin Mary, and all of a sudden it was a Renaissance painting. Like, mm. it, it was a weird juxtaposition of religion. So I was, at that point, I was starting to think about roles in society and in cultures and how abstract they are, perhaps. Like, if you're, if you're looking at them from a perspective where you, you're not immersed in the culture, because, mm. you know, one culture, what they do is, is completely different than another one, and how we enact life is random. I thought that was perhaps his point. Anyways, later, um, and we're talking about this, is that cool? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Um, there's, like, a producer or something in his limo, and he's saying, you're not really putting as much excitement into the roles. Are you tired? Um, and he's pretty much saying it's not the same when there's no, like the cameras are so small that you can't see them. So Hmm. I think this is in the future where he's just making films almost and he's making like 10 a day and the cameras aren't there. They maybe edit the movie later. So I don't think he really bit off the girl's fingers. Or he did, and this was in some kind of future where it's like that's the price you pay to get the ratings or whatever, or the views, right? I or mean, the clicks. I, and that was another thing where I was thinking that we're getting at was like to to the extent of postmodernism where we're not living in any sort of reality and everything is mediated, mm. and there's there's no way to tell the difference between reality and like commercialization or right, or just just how everything's a narrative role. Like, he does, like, a death scene with somebody. Like, th- these are all our tropes that we're seeing that he's enacting. Like, there was one There's one that's really interesting, and I don't understand why there's multiple hymns. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of hymns, like, yeah. a lot of just him going around. There's, there, he has a, there's a little mode where he's a hitman, and mm-hmm. he walks in, and he shoots, the, or no, he, he stabs him in the neck. Mm-hmm. And then he starts shaving his head and everything to make him look exactly like he it looks. Hmm. So it will look like it's his body that's lying there. But in the process of that, the guy's not dead, and then he stabs him in the neck. So there's two identical versions of him lying there with neck wounds, bleeding. And, and then, you know, he has the makeup on, so he has, like, a, a gash on his head. Yeah. So he cut the guy to make so it look So maybe like a statement uh, in that, like, when we, when we harm others, that we ultimately, in the long run, are harming ourselves in some kind of roundabout way. That's sound valid just in that how i explain that scenario that sounds like a valid explanation this is how i'm going to review movies from now on (laughs) you guys will describe them to me and i'll tell you what i mean but then he gets to the back to the limo and like his driver has to help him in but then he's fine so that's why Hmm. i think maybe this is not actual violence is because the dude's stabbed in the neck there's blood spraying out there's no way that that was accidental like you know like i mean there's no way that that to us that was real there's no way so like but he wasn't wounded because he wasn't dead. Once hmm. and once he, he was fine. Once he got back into the limo, so was the limo driver? Was it the limo driver or was it somebody else that was helping him up? It was the driver, right? No, the driver. The driver pulled him back in. Yeah, because if it was somebody else, then that would be a, a, also like a scene, maybe. So, the the fact that the violence seems real but doesn't seem real, maybe that's also common on violence in movies. Is how can we tell? Like, 
there's a certain amount where we're getting sucked into a narrative and then he pulls us back out of it. And you know, there's even one one scene where uh, he they're driving between two different uh, uh, jobs, if you want to call them that, and he tells the limo driver to stop, stop as quickly as they can, and he puts a, a ski mask on, is just bare chested in jeans, and he he sees another one of him sitting in a cafe, and he runs up to him and shoots him in the head, and mm. then his bodyguards, the ones that was just shot, shoot him, like multiple times, and then you know he he's laying on the street, presumably dead. And the limo driver comes up and apologizes for this. You know, it wasn't supposed to happen. And picks him up and takes him back to the limo. And off they go to film another scene. And so then he's fine? He's yeah. perfectly and fine. And the dude didn't mm. have a shirt on. So hmm. we're actually, it's not like he had squibs on or something like that were, that were exploding. Yeah. So, yeah. so I don't know if it if it's the narrative that life's unpredictable or what they're going for with this. I wonder if it, it seems to me that like he he didn't really have one central message that was going throughout the movie that maybe each little scene or each character had like a different thing to say that needs to be analyzed almost on its own. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could be wrong. Like I said, I didn't see the second half. <laughs> yeah, it seems to be in the future at some point. I mean, that's one thing where I, I it it could be now because there's nothing overtly futuristic about it, but. Just, just in the way that all entertainment seems to be, because he meets other actors also along mm. the way, um, and there's one scene where he meets Kylie Minogue, um, and it's not, it's not an artificially created scene. They recognize each other from another job apparently, hmm. and then they go into this building and they talk, but then she breaks out into song. So again, you, you're you're thinking this is now reality. This isn't a staged job. This this, this is the narrative of the film. But then it becomes a musical, <laughs> so it, it, it's 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 like it, he's consciously making you aware of cinema as as a form, not as something that you get immersed in. Yeah. And then she kills herself by jumping off the building, and then he he's deeply emotional about it. So that's actual violence. So there is a difference between actual violence and this job violence that appears to be actual violence. Hmm. But um. The ending is interesting. <laughs> which which ending? <laughs> um, I mean, what part do you want? Do you want to stop? I mean, what do you consider the ending? His his actual ending, or the driver's ending, or the limo's ending? Right. Yes. Holy, you want to give a spoiler alert, real quick? Um, if spoiler. You, if do, you, you, do you want? Should we just stop here? You well, if, if you don't want to know the end of the movie, then turn off yeah, the podcast. Do you want to stop? I I don't. I don't. I don't care. I'll, okay. Yeah. Um. We think that at the beginning of the movie, he's leaving his family because that makes sense. He's leaving his family, and now he's creating these roles. Yes. But his last role of the night is actually to be somebody else's in somebody else's family. So hmm. it's very possible he does not have a home, and he's constantly acting. There's no moment that he's not acting. Hmm. But it gets weirder because uh, <laughs> this family is entirely composed of chimpanzees, <laughs> and you know he's married to his chimpanzee wife and they and go upstairs and he holds pick his, his chimpanzee, chimpanzee baby. baby damn it I wish I had seen the rest of this movie because <laughs> this sounds awesome um, and then they look out the window and that's it for him um, he kisses his limo driver goodnight on the cheek not sexually but as if that's an actual human connection I, I think they know <laughs> what his job is going to be and that it's god awful um, so she goes back she calls somebody says, I'm coming home. 
and they all the chimpanzee. No, the uh, <laughs> the limo driver. Oh, okay. she drives to this place called Holy Motors. It's it's like a huge garage. So that's how we also know that there's tons of these limos because uh, they're, they're all going in there and parking. Right, and then everybody leaves. The lights go out, and um, all of a sudden the limos start talking to each other uh, by like their tail lights are glowing like voice. Like some in English, some yeah. in French, and they're just all carrying on. And they said something about that they're all going to be obsolete soon and that people don't like um, engines anymore. They don't like action. And they said, oh, that might be true. And then there one... was a lot of cliche in that area, too. Right. A That's of, true. A, a lot of hyperbole. They were just spouting off random quotes. And then one says amen, and then the rest of them say amen, and then that's the movie. So it's it's almost like as if these are spiritual cars forcing these <laughs> angels to teach lessons to humanity, but humanity is only picking it up if it's an extreme form. This sounds so awesome. I want to watch this movie now. Yeah, do watch it, and we'll talk about it next week. Yeah. But, mm. um, to be honest with you, I watched it and was like, what the fuck? What did a fucking just watch? That that's what I kind of heard about it. That it was like very kind of uh, David Lynchian kind of where you have to not search so hard for a logical plot and and kind of turn off that part of your brain and just enjoy what is there and and not try to make sense of it. Because if you try to make uh, making sense of a David Lynch movie would be like trying to make sense of a Picasso painting. Um, and I heard this was kind of similar along those lines. But hearing you guys talk about it, I'm not so sure. I think maybe the director did have a very clear intent behind these things. And, I think so. And we really do need to kind of figure out what that is. And, well, like a Lynch film, you read it formally instead of just absorbing a narrative or yeah. thematically. Um, and I'm glad you mentioned Lynch because we all forgot to talk about the very beginning of the movie, which is some random dude wakes up and then finds a key on his middle finger, sticks it into the wall. That's a forest. That's true. And then he's in a cinema with people quietly, motionlessly just watching. So that's why I think it is a reflection of cinema somehow. Yeah. But, um, I don't know. It was, it was really weird. It was presented much like a, a, like an earlier Terry Gilliam film where it's just, there's not a lot of sense, but it, it wasn't clear in the end what that sense was. Mm-hmm. I mean, there really was no order even when it concluded. Here. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm torn on it. I didn't dislike it. I, mean, it I was liked it. Like, it was kind of like watching Traffic with the separate stories, but having the, the randomness of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas tipped all over it. I, I, Without the shaky camera. Yeah. And I, I just, I, I couldn't I couldn't get with it. I watched it in two different segments. I watched a little bit of it one night and then finished it up uh, today. And I still don't know what the hell I watched. Right. So you would not recommend? No. Would not recommend this. Would you recommend? To a specific audience that would want to watch something that's like what I just described. <laughs> that's that's how I feel. After watching the first half, I would I would recommend it to to people who are, yeah, who who want to watch this type of movie where you go in knowing it's not going to be a traditional narrative and that you're going to have to figure some stuff out and that you probably will fail at figuring it out. <laughs> um, 
I don't know. Maybe in time it'll it'll kind of reveal itself. Sometimes movies do that to you. Yeah, for sure. Dogtooth, after we did that episode about Dogtooth, like six months later, it hit me. I was like, oh, my God, this is what the movie's about. I can't <laughs> believe I missed that earlier. So, so that's in the future, actually. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> We're jumping all over the place. <laughs> uh, one day you will figure out what Dogtooth is about, John. Yep. This is one day in five months. So if you were to figure out what that is in five months, what would you say Dogtooth is about? It was about capitalism. Like 100% I'm positive it was about capitalism. That's interesting. Yeah. How? If you watch the movie again and just think about capitalism in your mind, everything will make sense. Because like, remember how we were talking about how you you the the government will control you and tell you that up is down, you know, whatever's convenient, they will try to control your language and your thought process and everything you do. But then there was always one part I didn't get about that movie is why the parents had the children compete with each other so much over these stickers. Mm. And that's the part that, that is capitalist to me where it's like they, the government will control you, control your mindset, brainwash you and tell, feed you all these lies so that, uh, they so that they can continue to function and make you fit into this little mold, but they'll also distract you by giving you a, a common enemy by turning you against each other and telling you that if you deserve it, you remember the mom said, no, the airplane will go to whoever deserves it. Well, and they were always racing with each other and playing these games against each other, like in capitalist society where you... Well, what was his job? Not to cut you off, but I'm wondering if there's yeah, a correlation there. It was some kind of, I, I don't know if they said he worked in some kind of warehouse with computers or something. That capitalism makes sense because if you have money, you can afford a hooker. Yeah, exactly. But it was mainly the competition that they enforced on those siblings to get stickers. And right. whoever had the most stickers was like proud of how many stickers they have. So kind just of like Wall Street on government. Yeah. Because, uh, I mean, Gre- I mean that also makes sense because uh, Greece is obviously having... Yep, that a huge financial crisis. Exactly, especially when this movie was being filmed. So, yeah, it's about capitalism. <laughs> so, that's too bad. Amazing in the future that you're gonna. Yeah, that's that. what I'm gonna figure out in the future. That that's, and uh, I feel sorry for the the people who uh, turned off the podcast now because they didn't want Holy Motors to be spoiled. Because now they yeah. they won't have dog tooth spoiled either. Poor well, them. I'm sure they're so riveted that they just fast forward an appropriate length so they could hear <laughs> us sign off and everything. Yeah, and yeah. they also don't know that I have the ability to travel through time. <laughs> <laughs> they lost. Little do they know yep. that uh, next week it'll be the return of the shitty movie assignment. Mm. Oh, Austin looks so happy about this. I'm glad you. Uh, I'm glad you remembered that. Yeah, because since we're going to be time traveling, uh, John did give his review of 1942. I did. Um, he also assigned me Come on, uh, The Room. I did. And I have not watched it yet. It's been about four weeks, and I haven't watched it. In the future, you have watched it. <laughs> yes. I will soon watch The Room. Everything will be clear. Yep. And The Room, I believe, now at the time I assigned it to you two weeks ago, it uh, could... Four, four weeks ago. <laughs> four weeks ago. Sorry. This time traveling is confusing. Um, at the, the time I assigned it to you, it could be found on YouTube. So I'm going to have to uh, double check and make sure that the entire movie can still be found on YouTube. And yes, you will have to watch the entire movie and comment on it. And 
just for shits and giggles, it would be funny if you, Austin, actually at least watched one segment of it on YouTube. That way you can kind of relate to the pain that Mikey's going to be in next week. Is it a horror movie? No. No. Oh, speaking of horror movies, guess what came out today? Um, Evil Dead. Yeah. yeah. Excited much, maybe, possibly. You going to go see it? I'm going to have it ready for next week or next two weeks. Did you hear about what happened? Nope. Oh, no. Somebody a had bit. a seizure at the premiere. Now, this is kind of an old horror movie trope where you have somebody pass out or audience members faint during the premiere to kind of gain publicity. Well, apparently at the premiere in Buffalo, somebody had a seizure. So I don't know if it's real or fake. From quick editing or? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, a seizure. Usually I don't see, you know, you don't hear about people getting frightened into having a seizure. So I don't know if maybe they were just epileptic. Well, it's supposed to be bloody as hell and scary as shit. Hmm. And I don't think any computers were used. Oh, really? Really? It's oh, that's interesting. Na- oh, it's I mean, all prop? Yeah, I hate horror movies, ironically, considering my number three choice. But um, Oh, did I ever talk about uh, Cabin in the Woods? No. Oh, my God. Watch that movie. Should that be our assignment for next no, week? No, oh. because I just got done saying how much I hate horror movies. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, is, it, is it gory? Can Austin it's, watch it? Yeah, it's, it's kind of gory at the end. Is it? At the, like, the last 45 minutes is all gore. But you watched House. That, you watched that Hasu. Funny. That was funny, though. Uh, isn't this, this is, also? This is really funny. I mean, it's, but, it's, but, it's a play okay, on horror. Okay, gore has gotten much more realistic than the days of House, where it was obviously an optical printer, and <laughs> I didn't really think her fingers were playing the piano. <laughs> Dude, 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 I like cheesy horror. Dude, uh, there are mermaids in this movie. Yeah, I'm sorry, that didn't really sound me. Do, do you, knowing what you know about Austin's delicate sensibilities, will he find my pansy essence? W- will he not be able to watch this movie? The, the it is gory. I'm not gonna lie, it is gory. See, this is okay. it is not. I don't. I, I'm fine with scares and all that <laughs> shit. And in fact, I kind of like the macabre, but I hate human suffering and i hate people oh, people don't suffer for very long in this movie <laughs> <laughs> okay but okay th- there is throngs of people that get aced in this movie okay maybe i'll watch it and and we, we can talk about it but it won't be our next week's assignment um what is our next week's assignment oh we haven't discussed that at all it was in our notes for it was either Nightmare on Elm Street or <laughs> Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Yeah, let's do that. Was that's that next on week? streaming. So. Okay. That's on streaming? Yeah. That's even better. Okay. We'll do. Okay. So if you want to follow along with us, then you have two weeks to watch Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross starring Alec Baldwin and uh, Ed Spacey, Harris and Kevin Spacey. Jack Lemmon. Yeah. And uh, basically everyone who's ever been awesome is in this movie. And don't forget to watch Evil Dead. So we'll talk about that next week as well. As well as the room. Um, as yes, well. we'll watch. The, we'll talk about the room. Our number two is on our top ten. Ah, uh, number two. Uh, we're getting close. Yeah, it's only taking us eight weeks. I no, like sixteen weeks. Yeah. I like me some number two. Yeah, do our number two. Number two all over my chest. Any final <laughs> thoughts from either of you? I think that was it. I think that's a great note all to right. go out on. Well, thanks, guys, for uh, joining us this week. Uh, don't forget to like us on iTunes, and uh, we would love to hear from anybody. We want to be number two on iTunes. iTunes twos. Um, don't forget, please, someone send us an email. We'd like to hear from anybody. Let us know how 
if the show is even worth us doing anymore. Um, Nerdflixpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, have a great one, guys. Bye. See ya. Bye.